This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back once again inside the Wheelhouse Podcast. This is episode 51. I'm Aaron Goldsmith, alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto. Colin O'Keefe runs things for us, and uh, this would be the Ichiro and uh, the Randy podcast, Jerry, which I would think that in today's baseball climate, Jerry, Randy Johnson would not exist because back in the day, Randy, or Jerry, he didn't throw quite as many strikes as probably that most general managers would have liked. Yeah, I will say though that in in today's just going through the the national draft meetings like we are right now in today's climate, you better embrace the strikeout and the walk. <laughs> yeah, because even at the at the amateur levels, it is it is pronounced. We're seeing higher strikeout rates among the best amateur players in the country than ever before, and similarly, we're seeing some pitchers that have the big arms and the walk issues. They still get drafted very high, and and you just have to work your best at cleaning them up, like happened with RJ. Well, we're going to be talking plenty about the draft on this podcast. Uh, the Mariners are back home. We're recording this on Memorial Day. Very happy Memorial Day to everybody. It was a difficult road trip again for the Mariners, winless in Oakland and in Texas. Jerry, what did you take out of those six games over seven days? Uh, misery. It was just an awful road trip. We're not playing well, and really in all areas. We're just we're not playing good defense. We're not pitching well, and we're not getting that key hit. Uh, I was encouraged during a couple of the games, especially early in the, the Oakland series, with the way we were starting to string together at bats. But we're just not getting that big hit in the critical situation, and and it's a, it's frustrating for everybody. You know, it's frustrating for for me. It's frustrating for Scott and the staff. It's and it's probably most frustrating for the players because they're the ones that are on the field experiencing it. And you know, it, it has been a really tough. 40, 50 days for us. And I, I'll i say maybe as tough as any string that I can remember uh, while being a general manager and in my career as a general manager because we've just played really poorly for a long time. And our talent is better than this. Well, we know that right now your focus is very much in many ways on the draft. Uh, the war room is being built as we speak. Uh, first of all, can you tell us the overall timeline? When do you guys start really starting to ramp up and start the draft discussions? And then where are you today? Uh, we are four days deep and, and very ramped up, as you can see by my eyes. <laughs> uh, we are four days deep and, and ramped up discussions. And really, the, you know, the, the, the draft cycle now is 365-day cycle with, with all of the different uh, showcases and, and affairs, the, the present regional and conference tournaments. You know, it, it's just there's something to see every day. We started our national meetings this past Friday, and you know we've been 
digging in eight, ten hours a day just discussing players. And it's a bunker down there. It's a, the, the war room. And, and you wind up getting into pretty heavy debates. It's, and this, I will say, is a pretty difficult draft class to, to un, untangle, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's, the, it's just a little different than most. Some drafts are richer than others. You know, most drafts almost always have high-end high school uh, pitching that you gravitate toward. This year, maybe not as much. Uh, there's not a lot of polish once you get to the second tier of the college players in this in this draft. And that is to say that there's going to wind up being 25 or 30 everyday players that come out of this draft. There are going to be players that play in all-star games, and we just don't know who they are yet. Uh, it's, that is why there's a lot of time being spent on, on the debate because it's, uh, it's been a complicated class to unwind. What role does the general manager play? Because you have people who have boots on the ground all over the country who are looking at these players. Meanwhile, you are trying to focus on the draft and also what's going on with your big league club, other big league clubs. How do you play a role in all this? And our player development system, among other things. I I have not gone out and seen an amateur player in now over six years. And part of my reasoning for that is, well, I guess it's closer to five years, but... Part of my reasoning for that is just asking the advice of general managers who had been through this in the past. The best role that general managers can play in the, in the draft is establishing big picture views, what we're trying to do as an organization, create philosophy, hold people to uh, adhering to that philosophy, and then identify uh, by managing information. We have so many different forms of information that come across our plate now in a draft room. When I first started and on this side of the business, we just sat in the room and we discussed who can play and who can't play. And it was a, a 20 or 30 scouts arguing about this guy throws better than that guy and he's an 80 runner and he's a 60 runner. Now what we're dealing with is TrackMan information, Rapsodo information, you know, anything from satellites to, to what we're doing <laughs> in, in HP uh, you know, with our high performance, whether it's force plate jumps, it's sports sense, it's, it's vision testing, it's uh, psychological uh, evaluations. There's so many things that go into even biomechanical for both pitchers and hitters. So many things that go into uh, assessing a draft prospect now that even as recently as four or five years ago didn't exist. But as a general manager, if I go out and I see four or six or eight players, and it takes a long time to to get through a a handful of, of high school or college players, because you have to travel to that player, you have to watch him play the game, you're touching down, I call it drive by scouting, you're driving by for a moment in this player's life when our area scouts and our, and our cross-checkers particularly see them over and over and over. And if I think I'm smart enough to drive by in a half an hour and say, that's the guy, all I'm doing is, is convoluting the situation. I'm making it more complicated than it should be. I need to manage all of the other things that, that I just mentioned and, and try to be some, I, I guess, form of judge of when we measure all this this sounds like the best combination for us and you know and then turn over the reins to scott hunter and let him tell me who he thinks the best player to pick is give us an idea on an annual basis how many players are in this pool that you and everybody else looking at 
Oh, boy. There's how many we turned in is usually about 1,000, somewhere between 900 and 1,000 players. Uh, we, we This week we had the, the the player personnel director for the Seahawks over to sit in our draft room yesterday. And, uh, and, and that's the biggest difference between our draft and any other draft is just the volume. Uh, and, you know, we're just scratching the surface. We already have more tags on our board in, in three or four days than the NBA will run through in three years. And it's a, because that's the nature of, of our draft. And we, we, we peel through colleges, high schools, junior colleges, and even now Cuban players who might be eligible for the draft that you know we are going to Puerto Rico, to Canada, to, and, and it is you are traveling near and far. But probably have to peel through three times as many players to get down to the 900 or 1,000 that we think are worth turning in as draft prospects. And inevitably, and I'll say this, when you first start going through the draft process as a young executive, the first thing you think of is there's 1,200 players. And when I first started, it was 1,500 that are going to get drafted. And when you see that you only have 900 tags and there's 1,500 players in this draft, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we're done. We're, we're not going to make it. There aren't enough tags. And I can tell you our manager, when, when he first got introduced to the amateur scouting business, was was stunned at, we're going to make it? We had 850 tags. He, he, I said, don't worry. There will be 50 left over at the end that, that we can call after the draft. But it is such a unique business that we're in. And the, the, the attrition rate for prospects is, is incredibly high. We know going in that we're going to spend 365 days doing this, that there are going to be discussions and debates and arguments, and it's all healthy. And in the end, we will draft 40 players to, to enter the Mariners system. We're probably going to sign another five or six after the draft. And then once we do that, we're well aware that only about one in 10 of them is ever going to make it to the big leagues for a day. And that is, it's a stunning rate, but we invest a ton of money, a ton of manpower, and it is the most critical thing we do every year because if you don't have that talent coming into your system, you just, it dries up and you can't keep the machine running. Of the, let's call it 1,000 players that you'll have on the board, how many of those 1,000 young men has somebody from the Mariners organization actually sat down and had a conversation with? I would say close to all 1,000, and you know, and that might happen with the higher end draft picks. You know, the guys who are going to go in the top 10 rounds of the draft. It might happen sitting in their living room, with some of the guys who might go in the final 10 rounds of the draft. It might be a conversation you had with them at Scout Day, because most schools now, even high schools, have a Scout Day where you get access to the players. You can sit down, interview a player, or just talk to them about the things that are important to him. Additionally, we have our mental skills group, you know, and Jimmy Von Ostrin, David Franco. We've got a group of guys that do, uh, Adam Bernero, that do a great job. And it's put together by Andy McKay. And our mental skills group will reach out and call the, the individual players. And they probably have what we call, you know, our, our HP check-ins. They probably have 150, 200 players uh, where they have full-blown, lengthy conversations to get to the root of how that young man is wired. And it, it is hugely valuable. And those 150 or 200 don't always include, i, I got to be honest, there's probably seven or eight players in this draft that we haven't spent a whole lot of time on because we, we know we don't have any chance to draft them. 
So, you know, that 150 or 200 players that we are interviewing, by and large, is going to get us through 10 or 12 rounds in this draft, and we'll know who they are. Speaking with Andy recently, he explained that he sat down for an hour with a potential draft prospect, just picking his brain, getting a feel for his personality. And then, of course, the other side of the complexity of the Major League Baseball draft is you're dealing with high school players and college players. So you have to figure out if you're taking, say, a high school player in the third round, can we sign him? I mean, as, as the Mariners were getting hit pretty hard by C.J. Cron, Kevin Cron was hitting the Tacoma Rainiers pretty good, and that's a player the Mariners, before you were here, took in, I think, the third round. So that's another thing that you have to figure out that's beyond the NBA and the NFL as well. The signability. And, and here recently, since 2012, and, and you know, both, of, both CJ and Kevin predated the, the new draft system. In the new draft system, each, each draft slot has an associated dollar value. There's a, it's a recommended slot, and there's, you only get a, a certain dollar pool. So in the first 10 rounds, each pick has an associated dollar value. And that dollar value is your pool in the first 10 rounds. If you exceed that pool by more than 5%, now you wind up, you're, you're going to incur penalties that include losing draft picks, uh, which nobody wants to lose draft picks. And, uh, and you just, you, you can't go there. The same exists on the international side. So what was, and I will say, Toronto in the, in the early 2000s, Tampa, through the, the mid part of, of the, the first decade of this century, did an unbelievable job. And, and the Boston Red Sox, of all things, they, you know, they, were, they were killing it in the big leagues, winning World Series and, and piling up draft picks. All of those teams did an unbelievable job of gathering up extra comp round picks, the, you know, the, the 1A round where you're picking in between the first and second round, and then even dialing in second and third round picks when you were being rewarded with high drafts for signing free agents or or losing free agents and there was a it was unique in in that back in in 2006 2008 you could you could go sign a free agent or, or trade for a guy at the trade deadline who was a pending free agent and you got the pick you got the draft pick the next year so so teams like the Red Sox who had bloated payrolls were able to you know suck up a bunch of you know to to be free agents and turn them into draft picks and wisely they did that and they did an unbelievable job Toronto did something similar and when you pile up all those picks you're just you're doubling down on your chance to hit on high-end talent and those 1A picks they don't they don't seem like they jump off the page because by then a lot of people have just no they're not they don't know who the players are but those guys turn into players like Noah Syndergaard, and and they turn into players like Joe Musgrove, and they're those are incre- they turn into Taiwan Walker. They're incredibly valuable picks to have, and and when they get through your system and turn into stars like a like a Syndergaard, it's unbelievable the advantage that gives you. Mike Trout, comp pick? Uh, no, actually he was he was not. He was a he was the twenty fifth pick. So he was, was twenty five. Yeah, which means twenty four teams. Booted, <laughs> and uh, and I, I will say this: it was actually twenty three because I was with the Diamondbacks and we had two picks and didn't pick them. Uh, it's you know he's he's the greatest player of his generation and and twenty fifth. I, I think he was generally projected to go closer to the back end of the first round. Give them credit for picking the right player. We just saw Jose Barrios. He was a comp pick, wasn't he? Correct. Yeah, 
Yep. It, these are unbelievably valuable picks, and it, it's part of the reason why when we made the the flip with Domingo Santana to Edwin Encarnacion in that in that three team trade, the the appeal to us was that we felt like Edwin Encarnacion and 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 Santana, Carlos Santana, were were similar players. And at the end of the day, if they're similar players and we get a comp pick in, in return, now it's a B comp, but you're still picking in a range of the draft where you get players like Kyle Seeger, and that's, an, that's a wildly valuable thing. So Monday, June 3rd, first day of the draft, and which pick do the Mariners have in the first round? We start with the 20th pick. We'll, uh, we know that you will be uh, buried deep in a cave uh, on the days leading up to that, but we uh, appreciate you giving us the inside look at it. Let's talk about some guys on the farm right now. And remember, you can always go to mariners.com slash blog for a very updated look at some of the prospects of the Mariners' farm system. One guy featured right now, Jake Fraley, who was so impressive in the Cactus League earlier this year. Plenty of big league games for the Mariners in spring training. OPS right now, around 1,000 for AA Arkansas. How impressed have you been with Jake Fraley? From day one, uh, extremely impressed. And by day one, I mean the day that he came in just before position players were due to report and went out and hit in the cages with our with our hitting guys and you know sitting on a on a folding chair watching him hit you're like, that guy's good and i think that was generally the feel or the sense for everybody in in our camp and jake was a little bit of an unknown you know he was a high draft jake was a second round pick out of out of a very high profile school in LSU he could play defense and he went through a swing change he he's one of the guys in in our system that our analysts identified, they red flagged his his productivity and the launch angles coming off the with the ball off the bat, and we got our antenna up. And when we got engaged with the Rays in regard to Mike Zanino, Jake Fraley became a target player for us. And in order to do it, we had to expand the trade to include Jake. But you know, we're thrilled that we did. We think he's got the ability to be an everyday center fielder in the big leagues. And minimally, you got a guy who can really handle the bat, who can play all three outfield positions, who runs above average, and the makeup is off the charts good. And thrilled with the productivity he's shown for the first two months of the season. It's crazy to think that Jared Kelnick was drafted a year ago, almost, right? Sunday, he had a big ninth inning home run for the power in West Virginia and low-way ball. Has he been everything that you and your staff had hoped for when you made that deal with the Mets? I mean, at 19 years old, to be doing what he's doing, he's one of the, I think, one of the 15 or 18 youngest players in active leagues right now in pro baseball. And what he's doing is... It's not unprecedented. Others have done it, but the if I name the others, <laughs> I would be setting a, the bar is extremely high based on what he's doing. He's he's OPSing about 950 or thereabouts, it, it hitting in the neighborhood of 315, 320 on and off uh, in a fast league for a 19-year-old. And it's what he's doing is is gaining notice not just in our system, but I think among national you know prospect pollsters, so to speak. And whatever the, the general thought was when he came into professional baseball by third parties was that it was a effectively average-ish power. There, the power is significantly better than average. And, and he can hit. He hits the ball hard. He has lift in his swing. He identifies pitches incredibly well. And, and again, for him to be doing what he's doing at 19, he plays center field, he runs above average, he throws above average, he, he's an above average bat with a great strike zone awareness and high-end power upside. 
that that adds up to to something very unique. And you know, he he hits all the toolboxes, and he's a super intense player. And right now, he's he's making a statement in a in a league that, frankly, should have been more of an adjustment for him than it has been at his age. Do those people have jobs still? The he has average power people. No, oh, they'll always have jobs. <laughs> you know, it's a, and and at the end of the day, like what we saw when he came to 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 then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile, obviously, uh, the display that he put on in in a in a private workout and where he was hitting the ball with a wooden bat, is was phenomenal. We don't have big league players at the time that hit the ball that far. And I mean, he's hitting them off the hit it here cafe and off the glass windows up there. Like one out of every three homers was going that far, and there were a lot of homers. So you know, it was very notable, and we thought the power was pretty extreme. And you know, even our our scouts in the draft room were talking about him with upset power upside. And and you know, when when a lot of the third party stuff started coming out, we, we were mystified by the lack of of potential in the power. And you know. It's a hard thing projecting players, and whether whether you work for MLB.com, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, or the Seattle Mariners, it's just really hard to do. And the hardest thing to do among the hard things is to predict who's going to hit. And you know, Jared Kelenic right now sure has the the look and smell of a guy who's going to hit. And I and I think everybody knew that going into the draft, but the power potential is much greater than most suspected. And it's powered all fields too. And the last time we spoke about him. We went through it. I mean, the other day he had a home run and then the triple to left center. And looking at the highlight, first thing when I got here today, we were waiting to get set up, was pull up Kelnick's home run from the ninth yesterday. And admittedly, the pitcher missed his spot by, we'll say, eight inches. But it was a first-pitch fastball, and he's going up there hunting. He he saw it. It was right, I think, thigh-high inside part of the plate. And just a, that lefty swing straight out to right. Easy, Strata on the bases. He goes, that's what I do. That's fine. <laughs> you know, I, th- I, I think the, it's funny. Colin says that the, the pitch missed by like eight inches. If you go watch, even watch Major League highlights, more often than not, the balls that are leaving the ballpark are pitches that yeah. miss the spot by a considerable amount. Is Every step up the ladder you go, the, the hitters are more polished and will punish those mistakes. Typically in the Sally League, they don't punish those mistakes. If the pitcher has good stuff, he's able to miss because the hitters haven't figured out yet how to consistently barrel it. And that's something that Jared does in his age group, does considerably better than a lot of guys. How many, how many letters a week are you sending to Jared down in West Virginia? Colin, like, are we up to three a week now? I haven't even interacted much with Jared <laughs> Do you Jared letters? Yeah. Do Jared. I will say I occasionally do the thing where I go into an apologist area, hit it a little bit, but I go and sort through Sally League players, Sally League teenagers by WRC Plus since about 2014, and the names that show up, mind you, below Kellenick. So the first four names are Kellenick, Harper, uh, then it's Ga- no, it's not Gallo. Kellenick, Harper, who am I missing here? Vlad. Yeah, yeah. Vlad's yeah. in there. It's like Gallo. It's very bizarre because yeah. normally you pull up one of those lead words and it's like good guy, random guy, good right. guy, random guy. There's a loud guy. This is good guy, good guy, good guy, good guy. And then it tails off a little bit, but then you still get Nolan Arenado, guys like that. It's pretty wild. I what think, he's doing I as a think just the Nolan Arenado. Yeah. would appreciate this in letter form. Colin. So I'll pass it along. I think we can get the address for the ballpark down there. When I put those tweets out, I'd be sure not to at him, but he probably stumbles across them regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Since it is Memorial Day, we have a very topical Memorial Day stump JD. 
This is our, yeah, this oh, is our God. first, uh, although essentially JD, some JDs always like this, but this is our first Who Am I. Okay. okay. So uh, I played in six World Series despite a somewhat unimpressive playing career, despite the fact that I was in six World Series. I was a major league manager for one season. One season, six At World the Series. age of 18 years old. I flew combat missions in the Pacific in World War II. I was then recalled to fly missions in Korea. And I won the Ford Frick Award for Broadcast Excellence in 2005 and was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Wow. This did. Holy smokes. First of all, what an awesome career. I mean, what a life, yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying the to team think I the- played for. The Yankees. Of course. I don't know. It's a six World Series. It was. Of the team I managed and broadcasted for, the San Diego Padres. And that would be Jerry Coleman. Jerry Coleman, it is. What a Who's one, a wonderful guy. What a wonderful man who sadly passed a number of years ago, has uh, a statue in his, uh, in his uh, airborne combat uniform there at the ballpark in San Diego. And an, a complete treasure of a man. And as you mentioned, Jerry, what a life. On the field, away from the field, incredible. Phenomenal. It, it, it brought, and I don't know if we've ever discussed this, like crazy baseball accomplishments, things like that. Six World Series, Ford Frick Award, things that don't really go together. Do you know that there is, there is one baseball person who has won the manager of the year in both the American and National League, has won the MVP of the World Series, an MVP of an All-Star game, has won the MVP in both the American and National League. No, come on. Oh, yeah, and won the Rookie of the Year. Every major award that you could win, he has. It's he on won the manager of the year in both he leagues. He didn't win the Cy Young. Okay, he won manager of the year in both leagues. Correct. He won an MVP? In both leagues. In both leagues? Correct. And what else? MVP of an All-Star game, MVP of a World Series, a, a triple crown. <laughs> He's did anything that you could do in baseball as a as a non-pitcher. He as a non-pitcher. Yep. So as an athlete. Yep. Um, and the rookie of the year. Are you serious? Yeah, this is Stump Aaron. This is Okay, the only name that I can think of, and I think I'm right, is Frank Robinson. That's correct. <laughs> It's an unbelievable career, and you but know, I had no idea about all the levels to that. All of that. It's it, it, every award that you could win, he won. He's a world champion. He's it's he's so MVP he literally with Cincinnati, did it all. MVP with Baltimore, Rookie of the Year, fourteen-time All Star. I mean, you better win an, MV, an MVP of the All Star. You're playing it fourteen times. You're that good of a player. That's incredible. A crazy career. Insane. That's amazing. That is a very good stump AG right there. There you go. I was just just throwing it out there. Quirky, weird baseball things. That's amazing. No one I dare say no one else will ever do that. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, sadly, Mr. Robinson passed away in February. That's what a life. That's incredible. We'll move on to some listener questions. Uh, hey, we've got one from Australia. Adam's chiming in. Uh, he says, "Good day, lads." He's listened to all 50 episodes of The Wheelhouse. It's his favorite podcast. It better be if you're listening to all 50 episodes. His question for you, Jerry, how do you view Australia as an international market for uh, looking at players? Well, I will say this, that the Australian Winter League is where we first 
kind of started scratching the surface of the, the quality of the bat with Jake Fraley. And if you go back and look at what Jake Fraley did in the Australian Professional League, which is, you know, he was playing in Perth in their winter league. And if you pull up the, his numbers, it, it literally, it makes video game numbers. It's, you've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It's Roy Hobbs-ish, what he did in, in that league. You know, Australia has had some, uh, I guess, unique contributors among them, our own hyphen, you know, Ryan Rowland-Smith. Uh, Dave Nielsen, who's a guy that I played against for, for a number of years, was could really hit. Australia doesn't turn out a high volume of players, but the guys they turn out tend to be tough. They're tough-minded guys. I think it's probably that they spent a lot of their youth while we were all playing baseball and eating with silver spoons. They were out playing rugby and slamming into each other with leather helmets or something. Uh, Grant Balfour is another that jumps out. The Australians, we have an academy. MLB has an academy down in Australia. And the way we handle scouting Australia is very similar now to what we do in Europe. Uh, There's not a high volume. So what we do is generally circulate or circle around the the academy and make sure that we're checking in uh, in in different intervals. And it might be three or four times a year. We have two area scouts that work for us and cover Australia. They split the – the, the country in half and and we've had some success there we just signed a, a couple of kids out of uh, Australia last summer uh, two young pitchers and and we're hopeful that both have big league potential they're teenagers and, and we'll see where they go Jake Fraley for the Perth Heat hit 375 446 five, or, or no those are Acuna's numbers I was comparing against sorry jumped ahead 361 449 680 for a 1.130 OPS ahead of Acuna is about 1,000 OPS. He had uh, 13 home runs in only 40 games. Yeah, that's pretty video game-like. <laughs> and, I, and I think in addition to the 13 homers, didn't he have a, a crazy stolen base total as well? Thirty-nine bags in forty games. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it was it was a, a, a it was a bizarre stat line. Yeah, and then that that was the one the first time that we saw the flag go up on Jake Fraley was what's happening with this guy, because Jake as a as a collegian coming out of LSU was widely regarded as a speed defense player who might not hit enough to play every day, and then all of a sudden he went out and and just destroyed the the Australian Winter League and this was about the time that he started to recraft his swing and it, and it had paid huge dividends. Well we'll go around the horn here. Uh, we're in the middle or about to start I should say the longest homestand of the year. It starts tonight as Memorial Day. Mariners Value Games presented by BECU both Tuesday and Thursday. Bleacher and View level seats 15 bucks. Terrace Club only $30. Friday Jerry our first fireworks night of the year. Star Wars theme, right out of the gates, we're going for the home run. Big big one with Star Wars night. I mean, that's normally the crescendo, but we're, we're leading off with that. I can't wait. I can't wait to just play at home. And, uh, <laughs> there's, and I, I, I really want to see a quality start. I want to see us pick up the ball and throw it over accurately. I do feel like our defense has improved uh, over the, the last handful of games. It is refreshing to see Kyle back, and I think he's, he's swinging the bat good, and it's, it's been a – a real treat to watch him play defense these first couple of days, and and start double plays. Uh, we, we we need to, and I think the same of JP Crawford. I think his he, while while we are not playing well, that doesn't necessarily include JP. I think he's played quite well and swinging the bat. He's making good decisions. 
I, I want to continue to see the, the, the positive growth with our young players, and I can't wait to see it at home, and hopefully we can start winning a few of these. JP missed a game-tying home run by a, maybe a foot to left, too. That's the story of our May, truly. I mean, we've, we've done just enough to lose a lot of games. And, you know, JP missed by a foot, a foot and a half against one of the best closers in the game, going oppo in Oakland where the ball just doesn't travel. I, that, it stunned me, and I think it's, again, arrows trending north for JP Crawford. And finally, Saturday, we have the 40th anniversary of the Sonics Championship. It'll be a lot of fun here at the ballpark. Uh, plenty of Sonics alum will be here inside T-Mobile Park. Jerry, we know you're swamped. Thank you so much. We appreciate the time. You got it, guys. Fun. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.